Welcome to all those listening to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created for both the operators in OTC as well as operators in external units thinking about joining the organization. In these podcasts, we're going to be bringing you some highly successful operators, leaders, and training specialists who will be revealing their tools, tips, and techniques to help you achieve peak levels of performance. Now, sit back, take some notes, and use their experience as stepping stones for your personal success. And you are listening to the Insight Through Experience Podcast. All right, welcome everybody to the Insight Through Experience Podcast. And this is a special one. This time we have two operators with us, two operators who just graduated OTC. We have Seth, who is a combat controller, and we have Drew, who is a PJ. So, gents, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here, Mr. Free. Guys, if you would, for the audience, uh, go ahead and give us a brief summary of your life up to this point, how you ended up in special warfare. So, Mr. Free, I'll go first. How I ended up here, I'd say, is like we're going to start back in the bare bones, is I grew up in Missouri on the Ozarks. Um, small, small town, uh, grew up on a farm. And, uh, from there, I, I went to community college and realized through a year, it wasn't, wasn't my thing. I was working there or I was studying there and going to a lumber yard, working on a farm and also working at a grocery store. And I, I mean, I could tell you probably two months in advance on the day to the hour of exactly what I'd be doing. And I realized that that was not my thing. And while I was working in the grocery store, one of my buddies, I graduated high school with uh, PJ out of Nellis now but um, anyway he uh, hand me a brochure and he hand me a PJ brochure and he goes hey man I think I'm going to join Air Force Special Operations and I laughed at him I said you're going to type really fast and uh, push a lot of pencils and I was he goes no man these, these are PJs they save lives and I was like ah that's not really my thing man I feel like if I was in war it's not, not something I really want to do and he goes ah, I thought so and literally in his back pocket he pulled out a combat control brochure and I was just sitting there looking at him. I go, what's this? And he goes, I don't really know what combat control does, but they talk to airplanes. And I was like, really? And he goes, oh yeah. They talk to airplanes and, and they land them. And I go, where at? And he goes, anywhere. And I, to me, that blew my mind. I was like, really? And he goes, oh yeah. So needless to say, I end up giving it a year because I was still in high school at that point, giving it a year and I go up and I'm, Go up to the recruiter because I was fed up with it. Fed up with the groundhog day that my life had turned into. And uh, needless to say, I talked to the recruiter and they told me, and I and I quote, they go, you'll land planes on dirt strips. And I was like, get out of here. And they go, check this out too. And mind you, this is a story about a poor recruiting piece of combat control. Because all they said was, is you'll ruck in. I go, what's rucking? And they go, you carry a lot of stuff on your back by yourself and land a plane on a dirt strip, and you will get to see real Green Berets and SEALs get off, do a hit. They get back on that airplane. You take it off, and you ruck out by yourself in end-edge country. I go, that's what I want to do. Still to this day, I've never landed a plane on a dirt strip. <laughs> that's awesome. Drew? <laughs> well, kind of like Seth, uh, grew up in a real small town, uh, middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Um, Went to high school. As soon as I graduated high school, I uh, knew I wanted to do something, you know, more than just staying in a small town. And both my parents were Air Force. And uh, so I was looking at, you know, maybe going to college and doing pilot thing. And then my dad kind of told me about, you know, pararescue because he had heard about it when, you know, he was in the Air Force. 
and started looking into that. And then uh, about sophomore, junior year of high school, decided that was, that's what I was going to pursue. And then came straight in out of high school to the pipeline. So, Where was your first unit? 2-6, that cannon. So the 2-6, you, you went to the 2-6 and then you put in your application from here or, or from there right. to yep. come here, right? So, wow, young. And then, uh, Seth, how about you? What units were you at before here? Uh, I first signed into the uh, 23rd STS at January 7th, 2013. Okay. And you were there the whole time, obviously, because that's where we picked you yes. up from. Yes, sir. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> going over those experiences you had at the 2-3, Seth, what were some of the more seminal experiences that stand out in your mind that, that uh, maybe convinced you that this was still the, the right path for you? Honestly, I, I feel like it had to come from my peers where – they instructed me and they, they made me the, the JTAC that I am today. They made me the controller that I am today. And uh, I've always wanted to push myself. I always wanted to be the top. And they always said the two fours where you make it, you know, that's where the peak is. And I believe it was you, Mr. Free, that even you said a long time ago, I think I was back at SCTS when we were graduating. And uh, your phrase honestly stuck in my head and still even to this day is, would you rather take out a bunch of pawns or would you rather take out a king or queen in a game of chess? And he goes, if you'd rather do the king or queen game and get a checkmate, he goes, that's where the two four is. And that is honestly something that stuck to me to this day. And that's, and I saw my road at the end of the two, three. I mean, I've, I've done multiple deployments, you know, and I've got a lot of experience. And so I didn't want to be an instructor. I want to still keep bringing the fight to people. And that's nothing against instructors because they're the they're building the future generations. Yeah, it's good. And I think it's well, it's a great point too, because even on the recruiting road now, we're not trying to actually just start pulling dudes out of units. I'm just trying to offer them a hey, the end of this assignment's coming at some point. So mm -hmm. either you control your next move or let the Air Force control it. But um, I'm always just pushing guys to, to make that make that decision for themselves. How about you, Drew? How was the uh, how was that assignment at the two six? I loved it there. Uh, it's a small town in Clovis and a small unit. Uh, it was <laughs> when I got there. I was when I got there. I was PJ number four to the unit. <laughs> uh, I had to build my own desk and everything. It was pretty interesting. Um, but luckily, because the unit just got stood up, um, the first commander in chief they pulled right from the twenty four. So. Uh, and then as well as my team leader. So it kind of set me off right out of the pipeline. Um, so, you know, they were just constantly trying to breed guys to to have that mentality to go and assess and do bigger things than what we were doing at Cannon. So. Yeah, I love going to Cannon to recruit, to be honest with you, not necessarily for Clovis, but there are some good restaurants and stuff around. What's the base? What's the town outside what I would consider the back gate? Um, uh, Portales. Yeah, Portales. A couple yeah. of good places in Portales. Anyway, I like the feeling of the unit, and I think I like it so much from a recruiting perspective because guys are looking to their next move really hard there. It's not like when you mm -hmm. go to Herbie, dudes are like, man, I'm pretty good. Like, life on the beach is good. You go to Canada, oh, yeah. like, yes, tell me about what's next. Uh, so it's kind of – it makes you feel good as a recruiter to go there because guys are actually interested in that next move. Uh, any deployments there, Drew, that you got before you came up? Yeah, two. One to Iraq and Africa. How were those? Um, They're good. Um, the Iraq deployment was with the CRIF. Um, it was right 
along the lines of an election year for president. So um, nobody was mm. trying to make any risks, but we we got into a lot of um, like chem type scenarios and for it being the first appointment and I'd never heard of really anybody doing that. And next thing I knew I was mopped up in Iraq, you know, so that was, I thought that was pretty interesting and yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was in, uh, I was in Iraq. I'm sorry. In desert shield and desert storm. And we lived in that stuff for a while. So I don't ever, <laughs> want to yeah. but it's, it's yeah. important, man. What a good experience I had to be. How was oh, it? Yeah, Drew? How was it inter- um, just getting to be a PJ, you said you're PJ number four. How was that integration? Uh, was that your first deployment? They were like, hey, man, we got this key position for you, or were they still kind of figuring out how to, to implement the PJs at 2-6? Um, so that was the first deployment that we had as a PJ for the squadron. Wow. And it was with the fifth group, Criff, and um, at the time, our leadership, there was only a couple guys, obviously, that were even mission-capable, so – it just came down to who they thought was going to represent the unit. Um, why did they choose you? I mean, it's time to take off the humble pants and like, why, why drew? Um, yeah. So when we first got there, um, the, the next couple guys that we got in were a little bit senior guys from rescue units. Um, and they were good. They were really good, like administratively. Um, but we started seeing the, the flaws and the cracks, you know, when we actually started training um, and I think I just had an open mind with the next step of leadership above them, like our troop chief and stuff like that. And, um, kind of was just always picking his brain about, you know, everything else going on because he, he saw the same thing with the team leaders and everything. Hey, Drew, can I, can I interrupt you? I'm sorry. I want to comment on this is because I, I went through selection my second time around with Drew mm-hmm. and what I saw out of a PJ, I mean, He's brand new, and he, his level, he was, you were already a five level, correct? Or you're getting to yeah. your seven level whenever we were going through. Yeah. And for him being so new, and he was already approaching his seven level to us at any STS is unheard of. Yeah. And sure. so I think that would honestly speak volumes to a, um, to a occupation level of a PJ coming from an STS. This isn't an RQS, you know, like, and I hate to say it, but, SDSs in general and line units, like you're a BJ, go do your own thing and Godspeed. And uh, for him to come up there and he's like, yeah, I'm already all this. I was like, holy crap, dude, you have got it. Like you got it. Yeah. And, and I'm working with- from a selection standpoint or an A&S standpoint, I'm trying to figure out how, because I knew we knew a little bit about uh, Drew when he came up, but probably not in the manner that he just described. Right. So not in the manner that, Hey, he, he probably outshone two senior PJs to get that first deployment under his belt. To us, that's important. So I think it's for me as an administrator to the process of how can I get that information in our hands so we don't mess up and not invite a Drew up there. And because and we're, 100%. you know, um, we are pushing forward and not worrying about experience as much as we used to do because of things like this. Drew's the living proof of if that is your um, qualification and you can't come up here if you don't have three combat deployments or something. We would have missed a guy like Drew who that we just would go through OTC and, and blow it out of the water too. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we had that discussion. That's good. And let me ask you all this. Let's back up a little bit. What led you, what was yeah. the decision point to submit your application for the 724? Um, mine was definitely a sense of complacency around the, the unit and then myself. 
uh, at the time at Cannon. Um, I just saw guys that weren't really interested in training. They weren't, you know, pushing it in the gym. Well, they weren't staying late or showing up early. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of funny because it's not like a nine to five. Like, you know, your day might be from nine to five, but, you know, I've always felt that it, when you're first starting out, especially, it's not like that, you know. Um, and it was just a, just this overall feeling of complacency around the place. And I just felt like if I was either going to get out because of it or I was going to go to the next level. And so that's what I decided. Let me ask you before we move on, has, and we'll get into this later a little bit, Drew, but has it, have you found a home here? Is it, is it what you thought it was so far? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, lately it's been, you know, with coronavirus and everything, everything's shut down, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It seems like the attitude at least of everybody is a lot better. Good. Except for Shaddy. I'm sure he's probably yeah. like that. Like, uh, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Shaddy. How about you? What, what led you up here? You kind of mentioned it in your intro, but what was it? Man? I did. So honestly, um, I saw the right now, like, uh, I was deployed in Syria. I, uh, well, for the people that are listening, I've been deployed four times. Uh, my first deployment was whenever we were trying to reinvade Iraq, whenever ISIS was kicking off, I was with fifth group. It was me, four other CCTs. I was there with a couple noteworthy individuals. I'm not going to mention their names just for the sake of this, but, um, I was there. That was my first deployment. We were not able to go and help out. And uh, all of fifth group invaded without us to just mm -hmm. do the double uh, A mission. And um, from there, like uh, towards the end of my career at the two, three SCS, I, I realized I was, I was taking a realistic approach to this. I was a uh, staff. I got the five my first time, got the five my for tech. And I realized that, you know, like, this is, like, I'm going to be an instructor. Whenever I was in Syria, I worked with the 2-4. I worked with the Army. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're still getting after it. And I realized that if I stay in at the 2-3 SES, that I will no longer be able to get after it. Because by the time I leave an instructor slot, I'll be a master. And I'll be a team sergeant. And I'll be in charge of instructing guys to have to make their careers better and that's nothing that's not a fault i want to get to that level but however i want to get to that level by still running and gunning doing my thing and i that i have a gift for and yeah i mean that's that's how i decided to go to the two four regardless that i assessed the previous year and i was immediately invited back they gave me feedback and i and i built on it it was the best feedback I've ever gotten. Good. I, Just so the audience knows, uh, Seth is also um, a returnee for a selection process. He had to come through twice. And I don't say that as a, like I say that as a qualifier to his character of anybody that comes back through that process twice. And we've only had one guy come back through three times now who actually got picked up this last mm -hmm. selection. Uh, it just says something about the character and their drive and initiative, man. So I always want to throw that out there. I think some people yeah. look at that as a, oh, it took him twice. To me, is like, I love it because we get to see who Seth really was that second time, and, man, he came back and just blew it out of the water. I remember going back to the 2-3, and I said, why did you not get picked up? I told them I told them my uh, reasons for not getting picked up, and they said, that's, that's, um, 
that's malarkey. That's uh, that's very foul play. How how could they do that to you? Like you're one of our most experienced JTACs. Like you've done all this stuff. And I go, guys, that's not what they're looking for. <laughs> they're looking for a certain type of individual. And yeah. I did not give them that. I could have. I could have. Honestly, I look back at my first selection. I could have given you. I could have given the two four that kind of product. However, I took a last of the day, a little prep to it. You know, I I took. Uh, I took a little limp-wristed batter swing to it, you know, and uh, and I I'll never, I'll, the only person I have to fault is myself. Whenever you guys gave me that feedback, guess what happened? The two three STS showed back up to my team and said I didn't show much leadership experience. My team leader immediately put me in a leadership position. He mm. goes, "You're now in charge of this," and I oh. go, and he goes, "What else did they? What else did they say?" I go, "Well." Physically, and he goes, well, that's on you. You're a uh, combat controller, and uh, therefore, you need to be physically prepared. And I joined with the PT staff. And through the mentoring of leadership, and I was on a PJ team. And so that was, like, extremely – honestly, I'd say it was very hard for me to be a leader of PJs that I do not know their job. And that's mm-hmm. what made me so well – in tuned with their job and their capabilities because also I'd go on all the cast trips yeah. and help instruct JTACs. And then that's what, what set a good me up leadership for, challenge though, right? Like it's, it's easy to lead people who are just like you. It's hard to lead guys who are different than you and you got to figure it out and still um, come up with some sound leadership decisions. Mind you, I also had Southies with me yeah. and that is true. Southies, not SR, Southies. And I had no idea about their job. I had an yeah. EPRs about them and I did not know how. You definitely, uh, we definitely saw the difference when you came back up. And I think your points, I just want to foot stop them because they're so valid. Guys will come up and they, they try to figure out the, the process isn't long. Let's throw that out there right now. Our process yeah. is not long. You're not going to be there for two months. Like you got to figure this mm-hmm. out really quick. And then you only have a couple of days after you figure it out to demonstrate what we're looking for. And if you don't, that's fine. We're going to give you the feedback. And like uh, Shaddy's saying, you need to go back, process it. And if you get invited back, come back and demonstrate that you could learn from your experience the first time. Um, let me ask you this, Drew, how did you prepare out at the two six, uh, when it was time, when you got the phase one package and we said you're coming up, what was that process like for you? Um, <clears throat> rucking, more rucking and, uh, a little bit more rucking. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it like at Cannon at the time? Was it hot? Yeah, it was, it was pretty hot. It's hot pretty much 10 months out of the year. But, um, the one nice thing is that Cannon is completely flat. So I didn't have to deal with any hills. Uh, and at any time, it was about 30-knot wind. So on the on one way out, I'd have a nice wind at my back. But, um, yeah, a lot of rucking, a lot of working out. You know, and it was hard mixing it in with, you know, TDY schedules and with other, you know, local training and stuff. And I just said, you know, if I'm going to come up there and assess, I know that it's going to suck. And so – I don't want to just go to do it, you know, so I was bringing, you know, my ruck TDY with me, you know, I'd show up before we were training and do rucks. Um, and I was just rucking in the morning before workouts. Yeah. I was pulling up your scores. How do you think you, that you fared? How do you feel you fared when you went through the process? Not Overall. as well as I wanted to. As far as like the, the, I felt like the ruck, I should have done more. Um, should have gone a little bit faster. Uh, I disagree. Yeah, you were there, right? 
Yeah. Did you well, beat, I did you beat Shaddy? No, I doubt it. Damn right you didn't. Anyways, <laughs> I'm about to pull up the scores now. Yeah, pull up the scores. Uh, <laughs> Trey? I know I, I know I rested on that bridge a couple too many times. How uh, other than just physical preparedness, do you think um, mentally were you sound when you got there? What what was tripping you up? Do you think? Honestly, the thing that I struggle with the most is probably a um, like a social interaction type thing. Like it at Cannon, it took me a while to you know get to know the guys and to be you know comfortable putting my voice into the the pot. And I was worried that it was going to take too long to do that at, at the assessment. Yeah, and it's to not short, be able to show like what um, you know what I was there to do. So. I went in with that mindset of I'm just going to try and I'm going to be real uncomfortable, you know, but I'm just going to try and push it and hopefully it gets out quicker than later. Yeah. You, you did well in the peer scores, by the way. I don't know if you know that, or I guess you do because we went over it in peak performance when you got here, but yeah, it seems like you pushing yourself out of your comfort zone worked. So talk to all the introverts real quick because Shaddy is the, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. That's why I wanted you on here with him, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> what is the advice for all those introverts who are going to come here and they have a few days to do what you did and, and sort it out and get to know their peers so their peers can rate them accurately? Yeah, so it's definitely hard. Um, I would say that if you know your job and you know that you're, you're confident in your skills, if you just come out the gate, you know, the first couple of days and just, you know, are, you're out of your comfort zone, but you're portraying and you're, you know, maybe helping some of the other guys out with, with some like land nav skills or with, you know, whatever it may be studying for, you know, the, the book test. Um, if you come out of the gate and you're uncomfortable, but it, you're actually, you know, socially accepted, um, it makes it a lot easier going forward. For yeah, sure. the biggest the biggest piece of advice, I'm sorry, the biggest piece of feedback that guys get when they're coming through is they don't speak up when everybody knows that they had the answer. And that's egregious mm -hmm. in our line of work, right? Like they know if if Drew came and they're dealt a problem and they know he has an answer, but it's something inside him is introvertness or whatever that prevents him from speaking up, mm -hmm. man, they hit guys really hard in the peers for that. So Again, we're not giving away secrets. Uh, yeah. We're just giving you techniques to come up and apply. You still have to come up and do it, and that's what I love about the process. I have to honestly like comment on Drew's personality because he's the one that leveled me out my second time around because he slept literally above me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, y'all right? were Charlie 2 and Charlie 3, I think, so I know y'all were sharing a room for sure. Yeah. Exactly, and for some reason they thought, Charlie too was the team sergeant. I was like, well, granted, I've been around this. This is my second time, like back, 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 you know, or for fall assessments. But uh, honestly, Drew, he levels me out. Like he makes me make right calls and everything like that because he takes time and method into everything. All right. So let me ask you all, what was the experience like for you at selection? Uh, if for guys who are out there thinking about applying and, and are kind of concerned with, that sounds kind of manky. I don't know. I want to go through another selection process. How would you describe it to them? All right. It was definitely a lot more scientific than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, the initial selection that you go through is more how long can you drag yourself through the mud and just keep doing what we're telling you to do. And I feel like in the assessment selection for here, it was more of a let's see how this guy's going to think and solve a problem. And, you know, let's not give him enough time or 
equipment or space to do it and let's see how he handles it uh kind of like a little situation you throw together for somebody that you're training to see you know how they're going to solve a problem and or if they're just going to say they can't do it like what would you tell the guys to prepare for that environment right there looking back at because you're you were a young guy when you came up here um, what mm -hmm. would you do differently knowing what you know now well i would have gone back to basics quicker you know i tr i started i think at a putting out the level of skills that i thought that you guys were looking for and then i realized quickly that okay i just need to do the basic stuff that they want to see to show you know that i've learned it and can apply it to to this problem solving and once i figured that out it was a lot cleaner going forward for those newer controllers out there seth who didn't have four or five years already at a unit they might be coming up at two or three years um what should they focus on because if if i'm them i'm wondering well what do i need to know when i get up there what i would recommend is your ability to adapt for controllers your ability to adapt to a to a, to an environment to help build yourself to make yourself a better person that's why i love selection i was around the the not only the like like the unit's best but the air force best people that they wanted to come up here and assess and then not only that but i was gifted the amount of like experienced granted it was an ours because there was a few with a lot of experience but we still like it doesn't matter where you come from you still learn a lot yeah from different units i love the process too because uh you could have a guy who's got seven deployments and dropped a lot of bombs and you could have a guy who just uh, has two years in and is barely able to come up there and you know come through the process because he's so young and watching those two intermix and people would often always think that that senior dude is going to be a shoe in and the junior mm -hmm. guy's not. And then you see the exact opposite play out a lot of times. Why do you think that is either one of you? Why do you think from your experience and Seth's got two and Drew's got one coming through the process? Why is that? Why does sometimes and I will, I'm telling you, it happens more than it doesn't happen. Why are the senior guys having a lot of problems coming through a process like we put them through? I got this answer. What it is, is, it doesn't matter the experience it matters your efficiency to learn that's what it comes down to because you know one of the dudes on the otc corey wasn't even really rated no he wasn't and i've never seen learning at all as far as the controller goes ever at that proficiency his dedication he should have probably beat me mm. No, that's a great, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think it really comes down to uh, an older guy has a lot bigger percentage of being stuck in his ways and not willing to, to he thinks he's above the basics maybe. And, I agree. You know, thinks that this new way that he's doing it is, you know, better. So he's not going to go back to doing it the way that he was taught five years ago. And then, yeah, I like that. As far as PJ is concerned, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of differences I think between the rescue and arch and the STS, but I think the biggest one is that rescue trains PJs to work in a team of PJs. So you know, you're always going to have your C star team of four PJs out there, whereas ST, you're going out by yourself, and so you have to be only relying on yourself. So you, you might have a senior 
guy that is used to having three other guys around him that know what they're doing. And, you know, that probably pushed him to, you know, a level of comfortability that he probably shouldn't have. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm, as y'all are talking about it, there's a couple of people that have come through and they were seven level experienced guys. And I remember they didn't perform some of the tasks the way that they felt they should have, right? Like if you're a senior guy and you're in a planning event, people are looking at you saying, man, we're looking at you because you should have some of these answers. And they didn't perform well. And then it becomes this mental barrier for them too of, man, I just embarrassed myself in front of everybody. And I only bring all this up because I want we want senior dudes. We want guys who are experienced to come up here as well. They just have a different challenge than the younger guy has, right? The younger guy needs to come up hungry and just be willing to be open and learn as fast as they can, um, i.e. Drew. And then the older guys have to realize we're looking at a whole lot of different things than just what you've what that resume says. We're looking at how you can adapt when you come up. And Shaddy keeps mm-hmm. saying it. It's all about learning. It's can you take a fire hose in the mouth again? and adapt to whatever we're teaching you and do it our way um, and not be stuck and keep um, naturally going back to your way because a lot of times your way is not going to get it done where, where you guys are at right now. Let me ask you this question. This is my favorite question. Uh, probably because I designed the process. <laughs> I want to hear both of your lowest moments. Shaddy, I want to go back to your first selection for this one. I want to hear both yeah. of your lowest moments during selection and what did you do at the time to pull yourself out of it? Drew, go ahead, because mine's going to be pretty depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Lowest moment. It would probably be either Landnav or that first event of Xville. Okay, why? When, take, take the Xville one, and why? Xville, whenever you, you know, pick up those jerry cans and you just see everybody sprinting, and you're like, this this is going to go on for hours yeah. <laughs> and it's just yeah. you know in your head realistically you know okay we're not going to sprint these jerry cans for 12 miles but then when you actually do that and it's like it's just defeating to start but then it, you build yourself back up as you're going i think that's what i want to hit on right there because i love what you just said yeah. so you start off something new something novel and you kind of in the back of your head realize this is, this is beyond suck. This is, I don't know that I can get through this, right? There's that barrier in front of you. How did you personally keep fighting through that? <clears throat> I saw everybody else fighting through it and I knew that it was sucking just as bad for them as it was for me. And I wasn't going to let somebody else, you know, outperform me or like, you know, do something that I say that I can't do when I'm watching 20 other guys do it right beside me. Yeah, you know, I it. think that was a big, big push. Love it. Go ahead, Chatty. All right. Well, you want the first one, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, my first one was is that too high confidence, really. My too high confidence. I did. I beat a lot of the guys that got picked up during the ruck. And I look back at this. I didn't know this at the time, but I got. I felt like I was more proficient, and that honestly was the biggest kick. Mm. right in the gut to me is that I was better than all of them and yet they still got picked up and I didn't Mm. how'd you deal with that honestly what I did was I took your guys's feedback took it took it and I presented it to my squadron I spent I presented to my PT staff and they're like well we're gonna get you back there do they want you back and go hands down I already asked them can I please come back next year and they said yes that's what it was it's like that was the 
biggest kick in the gut to me is being told no whenever I knew I was better. Not better. That's that's a harsh term. You outperformed. Like you outperformed out- a lot of guys at a lot of events. Exactly. I outperformed a lot of guys at a lot of events, but yet the 2-4 did not see what they wanted to see. And I respect that. I respect yeah. that decision. It's such a good point, too, though, oh. Seth, of guys who are mm-hmm. prepping. Physical is important as hell. There's no doubt about it. Come up there physically prepared because it gives you bandwidth. It gives you the mm-hmm. gas and the engine to go through a lot of things. Yeah. You'll be attentive and be able to solve problems. But it's not going to be the thing that gets you over the hump. And I'll be honest with no. you. Back when I was still enlisted in running selection um, as the uh, master sergeant in charge of ANS, uh, a lot of times that would have got you selected to our organization because mm-hmm. we really, yeah. honest to God, didn't know what we were doing very much back then. But now yeah. that we do and we know exactly what we're looking for, it's just we expect you to come up and be in shape, right? That, that's just one of the we – yeah. ex- we expect you not to quit and we expect you to show up in shape. Now mm-hmm. we want to see what you got on top of those two things. And mm-hmm. it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up that way. All right, so before we move off of, of your guys' selection experience, what's some advice? You are on a stage right now. You're looking at it, every operator who's sitting out there in special warfare who's considering this for their next move. Um, if, they, if they decide to put in an application, what's some good advice that they should start doing now to prepare for the process? I think the biggest thing is know why, why you're doing it and why you want to assess. And then just be prepared to be challenged physically and mentally and still after all of that, be able to do the basics of your job. Yeah. I just want to piggyback real quick. Uh, Cause that why it keeps coming up in all of our conversations and every podcast we've done over the last uh, year, knowing your why is going to be what gets you through the process because there's dark times coming. We're going to create dark times in your world. And if you don't have that why to lean back on, I'm not looking to remove anybody from the process. I want everybody to make it through so we can make a good decision. But if your why isn't strong, you probably will not be there at the end to get uh, one decision or the other from the commander. So that's good advice. How about you? Honestly, um, I'm going to caveat on Drew's Drew's response, really. Uh, it comes down to is what do you want in life? You know, again, it comes down to the uh, queen, kings and queens. Or do you want to take out pawns? My thing is, though, is like, the reason why you want to come up here is like you really want to make an effect. When you come with the two four, you're literally making an effect to help out America. Awesome answer, cool man. All right, so let's switch into let's switch gears into OTC a little bit because I think this is a y'all just came off of it. Um, <clears throat> B, I think that experience. You know, let's say guys who are trying to make the decision to come up and they make it through selection. Now they're like, what, a, what is that OTC experience like? So I think having you two here at least to give them some understanding of what the daily grind is like uh, will help out. Let me um, ask you all this. Uh, looking around at the guys that you all went through, what were some things that you were noticing about some of the guys that just stuck out as that's that looks like success to me. And I know this guy's going to be highly successful because he's doing these couple of things. And what I'm trying to get out here is for the guys who are about to start OTC, what does that look like so they know habits have to be built? So what are some habits these guys could get into right when it kicks off to, to have some success? I think uh, one of the things that I was told back in the pipeline by a guy going through who was prior seal, actually, he said, do all the work you can tonight and eat all your food right now and you'll figure everything out later. <laughs> uh, I thought that was some pretty good advice. 
and that's that's all it is i think you get if there's something that needs to be done for this trip you get everything done that you can right now and then because there's plenty of things that are going to come up between now and then and having an open mind and just taking care of yourself yeah and i think uh, for family guys too it's don't live at work get it done get whatever you need to get done and then go take care of the family so they're well prepared when you have to go again so how about you shaddy honestly i want to i want to comment on that that last that's the last little thing that you spoken of of uh, like family literally family is everything and uh this is honestly the two fours the first unit i've ever met that has uh truly spoken to that whole family mentality is um what you guys what the two four gives as far as family is it's unspoken like you can't even quantify it you can't and um my whole thing for a controller coming up here don't worry about your whole experience or anything like that just make sure you're proficient in your job that's that's literally all that a two four cares about are you professional and are you are you able to be able to be taught something else and apply it literally the next day that's yeah. all the two four cares about yeah that's good it goes back to that rate of learning and learning speed it is important up here so mm-hmm. again we're going to suss that out at selection if you're on otc that means we saw it in you and now it's just time to come just do it absorb mm-hmm. but again it goes back to what you said if if your family isn't taken care of you are no good to us because you're just going to have to keep getting pulled off of stuff so we 100%. i can't even tell you how much is done for the family up there what i do know is over the past month um, during the um, social distancing there's been no less than about six um, zoom meetings for spouses when it comes to sleep um, how to sleep better when it comes to ptsd and how to help your husbands out if they're suffering from it or things like that mm-hmm. it's unheard of what is going on and available to the spouses up here so i just want to piggyback on what you said of this is a really special place because they care not only just about the mission and about the guys doing the mission, but they care about the support structure behind the guy, which is that family. So mm-hmm. I love having, I'd like the caveat on that. And I'd love the caveat on that. Like you're the two fours HP staff is unheard of. It literally is like, we have that psych doc, Ben, mm-hmm. like what he has done for operators. You can't, you can't measure it. Yeah. Um, all the physical strength coaches, like everybody is there to help you. And that's what it, I would like to stress that other SCS is, is that you're literally coming up here to be with the best of the best. Not only that, but these people here are truly here to help you. You have a problem, tell them they're going to solve it. It's not on you anymore. And they're literally here to help you. It's not just a job to them. It's their lifestyle. They want to make sure that you are ready to go down range and take the fight to the enemy, take down those Kings or Queens. What was your experience like with a cadre? And what I'm really looking for here is imagine yourself back at your other unit and you're still deciding, Hey, is this seven, two, four thing, something I want to do because I really don't want to go through another pipeline school or some guys have those fears. What was it like? What was the, the dealings with um, the cadre from the time that you arrived to the time that you graduated in February? I thought on our side, as far as PJs, it was a lot more of mentorship. You know, I thought coming in, I was, a little apprehensive about it. I thought there's going to be like selection 2.0 and they really made it distinct right off the bat that, you know, you've been selected. Now it's time you're going to train and we're going to mentor you and we're going to see where you end up at the end of it. You know, and if you 
have met all our standards or not. And so I think I'd relate it more towards a good team leader when you first got to your unit and less of a cadre from the pipeline. Oh, I like that. I haven't heard it put that way. I like that, Drew. How about you, Shay? Uh, as far as mentors go, like, I can't tell you how much I learned from. Again, it's a plateau phase, you know, new JTAGs versus me. And, um, but still what I learned to learn from them was still tactics that I've never even been shown before. You know, it's, it's different styles. And that's what I love about cast. It's, it's all different styles than what they've shown me to make me more proficient JTAC to help out America. That's really what it comes down to is that to keep my buddies safe, they've shown me different tactics that is not procedural. It's just a different tactic. And it all falls underneath the line of the J-Pub. Awesome. Uh, first names only. <clears throat> if you could only have one of the cadre members that you had during this OTC um, for training during OTC, which one would it be? Drew, we're going to start with you. First name only. Oh, Tim. Why Tim? Yeah, there we go. Tim. He just has so Tim many down. different approaches to things. I mean, he has a solution for everything. And it's not just like thought about once and that's his solution for it. It's, you know, he's going to the beach with a patient in a skedco and figuring out how to swim him out of the water, you know, and he's practicing it over and over again. And he's, you know, probably in his fifties, you know, so that. No, he's not probably, he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's deep in his fifties. When you see him riding his bike to work every day, it kind of. He's the hardest man that I know. And I love that dude to death. So Absolutely, I'm glad to hear yeah. his name come out of your mouth because that guy, he puts more into that job than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Absolutely. How about you, Shady? Evan, without a doubt. Why Evan? You know what I love about Evan? Even on our own training missions where we'll do uh, dry casts, you know, casting on the grass as some people call it, um, he still gets into it. <laughs> he still creates the scenarios that just makes it wild and everything. And – I can tell that through his instruction, like I'm a, I'm a JTAC guy. I can tell through his instruction that he truly cares. Yeah. And to me, he was our, I personally felt like he should have been, been top instructor, him or Tim, PJ, but mm -hmm. like without a doubt, Evan, the instructions that we have, it was a hard, hard choice between him and Aaron. Yeah. Um, but without a doubt, Evan made it happen. He truly cared. He would sleep like three hours a night during our Vegas cast trip yeah. to make sure that we still got trained. When he came through selection and OTC, he stood out too, man. Uh, really good dude. Really love Evan. Um, awesome. I'm glad. Thank you all for doing that. Um, that's going to make the cut for sure so I can get you all in trouble, but it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, guys are going to come up, and, and I know the family aspect is is tough on the guys, especially in y'all's condensed OTC. I already um, – in Mitch's podcast last week, I let the audience know that we're expanding that back out a little bit. There's not going to be as much white space reduced this time. Yeah. So it should relieve a little bit of the pressure. But how can guys avoid from getting burned out? And I guess that's a two-phase question of how can they personally not get burned out as they're going on trips? And then how can they take care of everything back home that they need to take care of while they're going through this uh, pretty high ops tempo course? I think as far as training goes, you just have to try and be a student and realize that you're going to make mistakes and instead of them getting you bummed out, you just have to come back and try and do better the next day. Because I mean, 
one of the most stressful phases with CQB. You know, it's it's something that, you know, we didn't do a lot prior and we were never really taught, you know, the actual fundamentals of. And so now you're coming through and your job is on the line. It's very stressful, but then when you see a guy make a big mistake and it's a learning point, it kind of, it helps tone it back a little bit and realize, okay, maybe if I make a couple of small mistakes, you know, I'm still going to be here tomorrow whenever we go to work. So, Yeah. Again, we talked about it with Mitch last week, but it's pushing, being comfortable to push with that line of failure and knowing that, that as long as I learn from it and, and progress that, man, I can keep pushing to that line of failure because we don't grow unless we push ourselves to that line. Honestly, if we try to play it safe every day, you go into the room with three other dudes and you're just trying to go through the motions just enough not to get a horn blown at you, you're not going to progress in the level we need you to. And it's hard not to, right? Because you don't want the horn to be for you. You don't want it to be and then call your name after the horn. So anyway, how about you, Shaddy? Uh, my family is the guys that I've worked with. Like that's the way it's always been for me. So I've never wanted to fail them. I always want to be the best I can be. And that's really where I have to leave it. Like they are my family I had to earn. And so that's, that's how my whole stance has been. I think as family wise goes, um, definitely over communicate. And I think if you leave them in the dark about, you know, when a plan changes or if you think Mm -hmm. you're going to save them some grief by, you know, not telling them something, you know, you're going to quickly learn that that's the wrong thing to do. (laughs) And it also, I think, allows them to realize how crazy the military is sometimes in, you know, here's the plan. And then the next day, this is actually the plan. Next day, okay, here's what we're actually doing. And then the fourth day comes and you do something completely different from the other three plans. So I think it kind of gives them an idea of, you know, a plan might look like it's going to be really bad and hard but then for some reason the trip gets cut short a week you know and they were never looking for that and so i think a lot it gives them the room to breathe as long as you communicate with them man i love that nobody's ever explained it like that and i think you just nailed something that guys can take away of uh a is we always say over communicate a lot of people don't even know what that means but just thank you sir if you make them a part of the experience too, you're going to win. And the organization tries to, just so the spouses know as you come up, we're going to have a spouse's um, orientation to where you come in and all levels of support are going to brief what the organization will do for the spouses as um, your husbands are going through this process. Let me ask you this. Uh, Some of your teammates that struggled through parts of it, um, and from what Drew said, to me, it makes me go back to CQB, too, because a lot of guys at least struggle initially with CQB. How did you see them progress through that, fight through it, and make it out the other side of those struggles? Honestly, I think whenever they stopped trying to be perfect and not make mistakes, it, it was night and day. I mean, I think, too, it helped that the instructors that we had knew that we were at the line to where they've taught us everything right to do. And now we were just trying to not make mistakes because we weren't learning anything, you know, crazy. And instead they just put the pedal to the floor and we were sprinting through the house and all the thought goes out of your head and you just rely on, on training. Good. How about you, Shady? We had a few guys that were struggling. We did because they didn't know how to free flow in a sense. 
Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like other branches of experience helped guide us into a right mindset of CQB. Love it. So not only, yeah, so the team and the cadre that you had, the uh, instructors that we brought in all created an environment to where those guys could overcome some of those struggles. Love it. And I think it's a, to me, and I'm, man, I went through OTC 22 years ago. So but one thing you don't forget <laughs> is how, is how close you are with those guys and how much that I was surrounded by the best. I was surrounded by people who were the absolute hungriest and best at what they did. And that made me come in every day. Even when I wasn't the best at something, man, I wanted to try to be the best at something. So I loved it. I just think that environment is so, it's addicting. I hated when it was over, to be honest with you. I was ready to go start doing real stuff. But like Drew said earlier, all that responsibility um, that I didn't have to worry about on OTC to show up and train, man, that was addicting. It was awesome just to show up and get to go do some of the funnest stuff you've ever done before with some of the best dudes on the planet. Just an amazing experience. All right, so let me ask you guys this. Um, the guys who are about to start OTC right now, they're all hopefully PCS in here if the stop order is lifted. What are one or two pieces of advice you'd give those guys as they prepare for that day one of OTC to set them up for success? So what I would say, honestly, is being confident in yourself. Know your abilities. Do not fray away from your inexperience in something that you've never been taught. Learn from your instructors. Be, like, be able to fail at some task. However, learn from it. That's my advice. Love it. How about you, Drew? I got two things. One is, you know, if you do make a mistake or you mess something up, it doesn't matter who made the mistake. There's a problem now that needs to get fixed. And it's going to matter who's going to solve the problem. So kind of taking a, a viewpoint of that. And then two, bad news doesn't get better with time, whether it's with your family or with the instructors. You know, if, if something happened or plans changed, just own up to it, tell who needs to get told, and, you know, just do it as soon as you can. Last question, if, and I'll start with Drew this time. Drew, if you could go back in OTC and do one thing again, um, what would it be and why? I think I would do the CSAR phase again. Why? Just the the level of realism that they brought to it i mean i i i knew that you know it was going to be realistic training but when we show up and there's a field that's on fire and there's an actual crashed airplane strung out across this field you know 400 meters long uh it just kind of opened my eyes and made me realize that you know this is all as real as it could get yeah it's one thing that i love about our organization is um you will not skimp on trying to make it realistic. How about you, Shaddy? Small unit tactics. That's really what it comes down to. Is I was dealing with uh, some of the PJs in my in my helmet that had never touched a T40 before. Mm -hmm. So, so I was teaching them how to take it all apart and how to do weapon fixes and everything like that. And honestly, coming back from this more is that I feel like we should have done a little bit more training on the small unit tactics because that truly sets you up for a better success whenever you know how to be an air air force guy in a smut unit you know how to do it i think um to push this back down to lower levels what 
what we've been hoping for now that the special warfare operator model is morphing at the genesis where they get indoctrinated at, right? I'm hoping they put that same smut focus earlier to where guys are starting to, because it's different. If you go to the 38th RQS and go to the 2-3 STS, smut to those two organizations means something totally different. I would just, I hope eventually we as a special warfare operator um, cohort can learn up front, hey, let's teach the basics really early. If I, I, was, I was in Marine Reconnaissance before I came in and from day one, when you go into recon, you are learning small unit tactics. It becomes ingrained in everything that you do. Troop leading procedures is everyday living. I think we can get there as a, uh, as a special warfare operator cohort, and it would take the pressure off of the cadre trying to teach really fast smut stuff when they come to OTC, and we could start getting advanced right off the bat because everybody comes in with a baseline. And that's the problem, right? Nobody has a baseline right now. Mm-hmm. It's a great point, man. Uh, and I lied. This wasn't, that wasn't the last question. This is the last question. <laughs> Drew, explain your experience at the finale exercise at Knox. And as you left that experience, what was your takeaway? Kind of like realizing that this is the top level problem that they're going to throw at me. And once you realize that all the training for the last, you know, six or 10 months, however long has been just leading up to seeing if you could put it all together and solve these these problems. For me, it took a lot of pressure off knowing that I'm not going to see anything. I haven't been taught. I just need to apply the skills in a different way and solve some problems that I might not have seen, but you know, I've probably seen parts of the problem. Um, so it def- it was, it's kind of weird, but it took the pressure off a little bit. What was your takeaway as you left there? Takeaway is I was, I knew leaving there that I was capable of solving pretty much any problem that I was going to be presented with. Man, I think we win as an organization and as an OTC of, if that's your takeaway, I think we win because now you, you exit there with confidence that no matter what is presented to you, you can figure it out. And I think that's what makes our operator so special. How about you, Shetty? The final phase of select or OTC, what my instructors taught me and everything like that, like I felt like I walked away from that, like learning all their different tactics through using different assets and everything like this. And I'm not even talking about air, but just ground assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I learned from them was unreal. Like you, I can't teach it to somebody else because I'm not down on another line unit. So um, with that being said, like what these instructors have taught me, example would be Evan, mm-hmm. what he has taught me, like it set me up for success. Whenever I did my final eval at the uh, final phase, like I felt like I, I literally crushed it because of all the instruction that they provided me. And yeah. All right, everybody, that wraps up episode four, season two of Insight Through Experience podcast. A shout out to Seth and to Drew for coming on. We have spent the last almost hour and a half talking about everything from selection to OTC. And I think this information will be valuable to a whole lot of folks out there. And I would also argue it's valuable information for guys who are thinking about coming in the special warfare uh, pipeline um, to try their hand at becoming um, a special warfare operator. And the lessons these guys have just Uh, laid out right here can also help you through that process as well. So, all right, guys, hope you all have a great weekend and we'll catch up with you next time.